two things were very clear to me going in is that it was going to have to be actors that were not going to concern themselves with what was done before. Because it's a slice of life. It's not a biography about any of these men. These are giants. But it's not. It's about this night. All of the things that have taken place in all of these men's lives that led them to this moment right here. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Regina King's new historical drama, One Night in Miami. The film is a fictional account of the night of February 25, 1964, when newly crowned heavyweight boxing champion of the world Muhammad Ali gathers with activist Malcolm X, singer Sam Cooke, and athlete and burgeoning actor Jim Brown to discuss their celebrity and responsibility in moving the country towards equality and empowerment for all Black people. One Night in Miami is Ms. King's feature directorial debut. Her other credits include the movie for television Let the Church Say Amen, the documentary Story of a Village, and episodes of the series Insecure, This Is Us, and Scandal. Ms. King spoke with director Barry Jenkins about filming One Night in Miami in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hey, hello, everybody out there in virtual land. My name is Barry Jenkins, and I will be your moderator. Uh, I guess not really a moderator, just, just me and Regina. I will be uh, asking questions in this conversation with Regina King uh, about her feature directorial debut, One Night in Miami. Welcome, Ms. King. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Mr. Jenkins. It's good to see your face. Yeah, good to see you too. It's uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been it's been too long. Um, uh, so, yeah. so I saw I saw the film for the first time at uh, the drive-in in the Rose Bowl um, uh, when mm-hmm. AFI put on the piece, uh, which was cool. It's my first time seeing a movie um, outside the house uh, during the quarantine. And uh, it was interesting because I had forgotten that I had read uh, this play long time. I hadn't seen it, but I had read it a couple years ago. And part of that was I had heard about the story, not the play, but the story of Ali and Malcolm X and Sam Cooke and Jim Brown hanging out uh, in Miami. And I was like, no, that's bullshit. You know, it's not true. Um, but then when the play came about, it was like 2015, 2016. Uh, somebody was talking to me about it, so I hunted, hunted it down and read it. I was like, oh, shit, it, it did happen. Then I saw your film, and your film departs from the play in a few different places. I want to talk to you about that. But first, I wanted to ask, because uh, you're not from Miami, right? No, but you are. I, I am. So so <laughs> how the hell did you beat me to this? Uh, how did this come to you, and why did you decide to make it? Oh, man, a a few reasons. Um, It came to me because I was uh, talking to my um, my agent about the time I was I was really officially ready to um, actively pursue a project for my uh, film directorial debut. And um, so I was sitting down and just kind of sharing him with him the stories that I would want to tell, you know, that a lot of stories that I want to tell, but the stories that I thought would be good first for me. And I told him one of those things uh, was that I wanted to do a romance within the historical backdrop that with, with us as the lead, like our Titanic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
Uh, not long after that conversation, um, One Night in Miami came on his radar. And uh, while it, it's not a, that type of romance, there is um, a love story here to me. It was, uh, I read the script and I felt like, wow, Kemp just wrote a love letter uh, to black men. And in this piece, I felt like I saw every black man that I know and love, mm. even though it was through the voice of Cassius and Malcolm and Sam and Jim, um, Kemp Powers, the writer, did an amazing job at, you know, removing the titles and humanizing them and just forcing you as an audience. And at this point, I'm reading it to just to receive them and appreciate them as men first. Mm. And um, there was just a brotherhood that exists in the piece that I just felt like I don't get the opportunity to see this. I don't get an opportunity to see mm. um, Black men the way I see them in my life. Mm. Um, so that was um, appealing to me. And, you know, it, it's an actor's piece. It's mm -hmm. truly an actor's piece. The dialogue is the star. And uh, that was uh, exciting to me. And also, you, it, it, I think it was a smart move to play to my strengths. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of my strengths as, the direct, as a director is that I am an actor and I understand the journey of an actor. And I feel like I have a, a, a um, I can communicate in a way that I can shift styles of communication quickly, depending on the actor. And I discovered that um, throughout the time I've been doing episodic uh, uh, work and just kind of educating myself. Like that was my film school in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, th those were the two biggest things that drew me to. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because when you describe it as a as a love story, I see that, you know, there's all these different different kinds of love. You know, we may. Bill Street together and in the score of Bill Street, Nick and I named all these pieces of score after the different stages of love. And I think you're right because these conversations that the dudes are having, they keep evolving and evolving and evolving. And you see this brotherly love, you see a, a sort of kind of paternal love, you know, in certain ways, even though they're all kind of similar in age. It's, it's kind of cool. It's uh, Lulu always talks about them in Lulu's office right now. She made this movie, The Farewell, very small mm -hmm. family drama. But she said she thought of it as a monster film. And the monster in the room is, are we going to tell grandma that this, this disease is trying to kill her? And so when she thought of it that way, it kind of opened things up. And I think thinking of your piece as a, as a love story is kind of cool. It kind of recontextualizes some things for me. Um, I wanted to ask you, it's an adaptation, but it's crazy. I was going through the play again today, and it's a very sparse play, but which I mean, it's all about the dialogue, the dialogue, the dialogue. And it even has a little bit of stage directions in it, but seeing your film, you kind of took all that and, you know, kind of tore it apart and kind of put it back together again. And so I think it probably had to go from the page to the stage, to the script, to the screen. That's a long process. So just tell me about adapting it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Kemp had done the, the heavy lifting, you mm -hmm. know, very rarely. The, the thing's so beautiful about, you know, you is that you are a writer and a director and, and, and you know, just from um, 
experience just what what that entails, what you have to give of yourself. For me, looking at that blank page uh, and, and attempting to write is terrifying for me. Um, but I do feel like even with that, I have a, I, I understand story and I understand um, th that regardless of the genre, if it's a comedy, if it's a rom-com, if it's a, a, a thriller, um, if there's no heart in it, if it's not rooted in, in heart at the, at the core of it, um, that's gonna be a tough story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that Kemp um, not often is the author of a book or a play able to do such a uh, great adaptation of their work. Usually another writer will come in and do a polish or something, mm -hmm. um, but he spent a lot of time with it and, 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 and blew up his own play and, mm -hmm. and um, um, opened it up. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, by the time, you know, I got the part, I always say, you know, I had to get the job too. I had to mm -hmm. <laughs> let them know the story that I wanted to tell um, with the story that had been given. Um, I just, I saw very clearly Kemp's intentions. And so it was my job to lean in even, even, even harder in those places, especially when you talk about humanizing these men. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, me adding scenes or um, adding um, just little moments that um, make them real, make mm -hmm. them, uh, to, like, not to keep saying it, but takes the titles away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Kemp trusted me because I truly understood his in intention immediately. I read the screenplay and was blown away because I was like, wait a minute, this is his brother's first screenplay? He's, he's never written a screenplay before. You guys are kidding. And then, so I, I had to um, order the play and then I read the play before I met with them because I wanted to see, you know, the difference. And all the themes were there. Um, but I felt like, well, we, I think we can add a little more from the play back in mm -hmm. to this, this, this screenplay and, and, and still not, uh, get caught in, um, cause, cause it's, a, it's it, it was an easy trap to possibly fall into because we spend so much time in that room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it is not a big room. And, and yet I think. Uh, you guys do a great job, you, your cinematographer, the actors, figuring out a blocking uh, that can be cinematic, and especially the scene on the rooftop. One of the most, one of the most arresting moments to me in the piece, just as a director, just craft, is that transition from the room to the rooftop. Um, it's just like there's something, because it's kind of like you're building this thing, you're building this thing. The room is so small, they're taking up all the space, and then they're in complete freedom, open space. I thought it was a really cool thing. So just talk, talk to me about making the play and the script cinematic when all these people are talking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so if you really think about the actual room, if you imagine these huge men, the actual room in the Hampton house was half the size of our set. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I knew immediately like, yeah, that, that's, that's, we can't try to 
duplicate the exact room and you know the production designer uh definitely you know they want everything to be authentic because you know this is their name and i was like yeah no but this is this is not gonna work you know i'm gonna we're gonna spend so much time here let we can let the cameras um make the, the film make the room claustrophobic when we want it to be exactly. and we can we need the depth for when we want to have the depth when we want them to feel worlds apart mm -hmm. and 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 the camera can handle some of that but we can't do that in th this tight room so you know the decision was to create this room that almost it was like three uh spaces in the room that speak to what's happening in the moment so mm -hmm. if you land in the little hallway area you kind of on your own there's an isolation a isolated feeling that you know wanted to um, capture when mm -hmm. um a, a person was was in that space and um when you were in let's say the kitchenette area like what the the logic that i gave it i try to always I do this as an actor as well, that even if it didn't really exist, if I can make it make sense in my head, that if anybody asks me the question, I can say, well, this is the reason why. In my head, I decided that the Hampton House had um, knocked down a wall, put two rooms together, because this is their special suite. Exactly. For when 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 the Malcolm X's come to town, mm -hmm. they stay, you know, in the Hampton suite, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was the logic that I gave to that. And it allowed us to um, uh, uh, create blocking or staging that there there was this feeling where Malcolm was very isolated at times. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what he was feeling in this moment of his life. And, and wanted that staging to reflect that, to push that even further. And so um, cutting, doing cubby holes and cutting out, have cutouts where we can uh, put the camera so that we could um, just have more uh, opportunity to have those fly on the wall moments uh, visually. Um, I think it really helped push that feeling when you want to feel like you're in that man's head I, I, it's hard to say character because these men actually exist but in that man's head feeling that vulnerable moment because each of them have vulnerable moments yeah it's interesting i actually wanted to ask you about that um and um, the lapd is somewhere in the neighborhood so i don't know if you can hear the sirens on your side <laughs> coming to I you from la <laughs> grateful uh i was gonna say um did you run it as masters because some of uh some of the performances are so great i'm like these cats can't be doing like two lines of stopping it felt like the the the, the script was broken into these chambers and y'all just ran it y'all run it again and then run it again we did run it as masters and, and we would we would we would run it as masters a few times and uh one of the things that we i decided early on that i knew early on is that i wanted the cameras to always be moving mm. but i didn't want them to be a distraction mm. so tammy Riker, uh, my dp 
you know, she, their idea for the best way to achieve this. I knew I wanted to be handheld on the roof and she felt like the best way for us to achieve this without the steady cam all the time was to always be on the jib arms. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a dance, but what it allowed us to do is when we, even when we were running it like as a master and not, we were still able to be coming through one of the cubby holes on, on the jib and actually capturing some coverage mm -hmm. in, um, um, in, 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 in not the conventional way, not just straight on, you know, it's, there's something really interesting and, and I, you know, I won't lie. I learned this from working with Barry Jenkins and from- I, I, I was gonna say, because I was gonna say, uh, it would have been easier for us to do Bill on a stage, especially uh, y'all's apartment, but we did it in that brownstone. Um, I assume the suite was a stage, it had to be. Yes, it had yes. To be. Yeah. Uh, but did, you, did you ever think, no, nah, you know, let's go find a little motel in Miami or, or a little motel down in Long Beach or something? Yeah, <laughs> um, it would have been nice. Uh, I, I truly was a, a, a fangirl out at the fact that you did that. And I actually was able to experience that. And that was, so, I mean, singular. I've never experienced anything like that before. But um, I knew that that just it, that wasn't going to work here. It just I was I would have been shooting myself in the foot. You know, I I I, I am the first to uh, own up to the fact that I I could not be um, the captain of the ship, and with the knowledge that I have trying to do all of that mm. in a practical location, you yeah. know? Well, it's interesting though, because I, I was thinking that the thing I've done closest to what you do in this film is that living room scene when Audra New comes over uh, in Beale Street. And I was thinking about how we did that because it was, it was one of the most challenging scenes I've ever done. And you do it for like 90 straight minutes. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I think we shot that over like two or three nights. And I struggled with where to put the camera that would let y'all have the center of the room. And that living room was sort of similar to, to one chamber of, uh, of y'all's of y'all space, um, but but it was way more people. It was like, so how do you allow the performers to have the space, but still allow the audience too, to be inside it, you know what I mean? And it's a really uh, tricky thing to pull off. It's one of the things I hope when people watch this film, they realize, this ain't just people standing up and talking, you know, the camera's got to dance as well. And I think a really good director knows how to allow the audience to be able to see um, the, the fireworks. There's a lot of pyrotechnics in this thing to see that in an intimate way. And yet still have the actors, you know, still also feel like they have control of the space as well. It's a, it's a really delicate dance. I'm trying to understand this thing with the jibs and the cubby holes because it's kind of dope. I assumed it was like a little bit of steady cam, a little bit of handheld. There's a fifth person in there. But um, I think uh, it's really lovely to do it that way. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a very complicated, I would say. I'm trying to- It was very complicated. I interview you, but I'm trying to picture this in my head right now. I know, I know. Uh, very little steady cam actually when we were in the room. Um, uh, there is uh, one scene that the entire scene, you know, get, because you're trying to, okay, well, what what can I do different in this scene? Because mm -hmm. we're in this room for so long, but not feel like the audience is like, oh, sh 
she's trying to do this to mm -hmm. show her big camera moment. You know, that that's that's distracting to me, you know, just as a as a, as a audience member sometimes when it's done right, it's it's amazing when 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 it's done to help tell the story and to help um uh the audience feel a certain type of energy it's it's amazing but when it's done just for camera theatrics i i don't think it it services the um the yeah, piece, yeah. especially a piece like this yeah it's something i wanted to shout you out about because you you it's easy to get into your head to be like we're in the same space with the same people for however many minutes i gotta mix it up but then you start mixing it up for mixing mixing it up sake um I did want to ask you one of the most visual, I want to ask you about directing the actors in a second, but I'm on this visual with you right now. One of the most visual moments is the transition to the roof. The camera, I think it kind of like pushes through the door. Uh, it's like it's with them and then it goes past them and out through the door. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was a set, right? Or were y'all actually on a practical roof for that for that bit? Yeah, well, the, we're, we're not, uh, it was, <laughs> we are that roof was mm -hmm. basically we built that roof on the top of um, storage containers mm -hmm. uh, because we learned that being up on the roof it was going to be all of these other mm -hmm. you know legal things that we were going to have to be dealing with and and they have to kind of run and have that banter that moment on the mm -hmm. roof and it just felt like gosh if we if we if we really go for the roof Mm -hmm. and, and, and and finding that location um we're, we're gonna we're gonna bone ourselves and, and our actors aren't gonna be able to to move because it was like we, we found out we would have to put them on harnesses and then we'd have to paint the harnesses out after mm -hmm. because they so you know we made the decision to 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 build that roof outside of our stages mm -hmm. and um we uh that this the scene that leads us to the roof that's the scene where it was kind of my one shot on the steady and then i come enter the roof on the steady is it and, is a stitch or something right yeah 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 okay. yeah it's kind of coming behind jim's back and then it's, it's, it's so dope i imagine i can i'm assuming what the budget of this movie was don't say it but it's an expensive sequence you know in a movie that for a lot of stretches is just folks standing on, on you know moving around the set and so as a director now, how do you make that choice where, you know what, this is worth it. You know, we're going to find the containers, we're going to do the water, and they'll be going to come on through. Right. right. Well, the most, I think the most expensive part of the, the sequence was the, the, the blue screen mm -hmm. uh, for Miami, mm -hmm. you know, because we were not high. We were in New Orleans. Um, the, the, I don't know, there several shows that episodes that i've directed i've kind of done the white before so mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm kind of making it a bit of a signature type thing <laughs> and i just felt like somewhere <laughs> in this film that has to yeah. happen so, so, so spike got his dolly and regina came back <laughs> <under> a stitch <laughs> but, but you know what though it it, it it makes sense that it is a, a directorial signature because it's it's, it's hella visual and but for me, especially in this film, you know, I haven't seen um, all the episodic work uh, you've done. So I made a point of saying your first feature film, not your directorial debut. But what I got, I, I did get something uh, emotional and thematic from it because it's so claustrophobic. 
And then in this continuous moment, we go from the claustrophobic to, and you yeah. think, oh, they can breathe now, but they sew up in here. They won't let each other breathe. Exactly. Yeah. And then that was the, I'm so mean the world to me that you caught that. That was the intention. Hey, I'm, I'm a, I, 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 I make movies because I love movies. And when I'm watching movies, I'm trying to see what is this person trying to say to me? You know, in, case, yeah. in this case, the person is uh, Regina King. Um, so, hey, I, I did want to talk to you about, um, I want to talk to you about casting the actors, but the time is getting tight. So I want to jump right to my big question real quick, which is, um, you know, Kingsley is awesome in the, uh, in, in the film. You know, he's just like, you know, it's like career defining work uh, for him. And it's interesting because when I was watching the movie, I kept having Denzel in my head. Denzel is Malcolm X, you know, especially for, for the age I was and the amount I knew of Malcolm X. A lot of what I knew of Malcolm X came from watching Spike's movie. Um, but then you learn more about who Malcolm was. And, you know, all human beings have a spectrum of who they are. And I think y'all brought a whole different spectrum uh, to who this man is. Um, just talk to me about building that character. I don't know if you knew or didn't know, but knowing that as for me, as I watched it, I had Denzel in my head and it was so lovely to be like, oh, but then here's this other thing, you know, not not better or worse, good or bad, but it's different. Exactly. Just different. Just different. And well, first of all, with Kingsley and with Eli, mm -hmm. they both had, you know, two performances that were Oscar nominated performances happened you know years ago and now here they come um you know wanting to uh, to embody these men and it two things were very clear to me going in is that it was going to have to be actors that were not going to concern themselves with what was done before but that i know that i am the correct vessel to express who Malcolm is in this moment, because it's a slice of life. It's not a biography about any of these men. These are giants, but it's not, it's about this night, all of the things that have taken place in all of these men's lives that led them to this moment right here. And um, as long as the actor remembered that, they they didn't have to worry about what a, another actor has done before because mm -hmm. this is a, a, a singular moment. And one of the things that, um, speaking specifically about Malcolm, I think so often we when we when we see uh, sound bites of Malcolm, we always see the as Jim says in the film the fire and brimstone moments. Mm -hmm. And when you speak to any of the people that really knew Malcolm, they talk about him being a person that laughed a lot, that told silly jokes. And I want to know who that man is, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and uh, what's interesting when you just think about the sacrifices that mm -hmm. Malcolm uh, made in his life for us, for mm -hmm. a people, um, of course he had to be a loving man. Of mm. course he had to be vulnerable. Mm. Of, of course he had to be um, uh, heart cracked open to um, uh, uh, understand uh, 
what it was when he when he went and made his journey to Mecca and, and came back and had a different perspective, if you will, mm-hmm. um, on brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, still very much so a black man and understanding the marginalization of black people, mm-hmm. uh, but the understanding how that marginalization went way beyond America. It went, you know, like he came back um, um, a, a, a the same person, but his heart even, I think, opened even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to receive that, I, I feel like it, it he already had to have that within him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I believe about all of those men and about men that we say are so strong in general, um, th- that a lot of that strength is found through vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that was important to me to see that, um, to see Malcolm smile, to mm-hmm. see him like, like you know, Kingsley, uh, he lost 20 pounds for the role. He truly, you know, uh, captured the dialect. He lived and and and, and slept and breathed Malcolm uh, in his preparation. And you know, there's these moments where he laughs with his body, not mm-hmm. just with his face, with his body. And we know that laugh. A human being, if you have truly are are laughing with joy from a space. We know what that feels like. We should be able to see that Malcolm X knew what that felt like. Mm-hmm, and appreciate mm-hmm. um, the man that much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, th- that and that's that's the Malcolm that we wanted to capture. And like you said, it, it was different. It's not a, a, a better or a worse. It's it's just a, a different part of Malcolm we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think what you said. It's correct. You know, it's not the whole man. It's who he was in this moment or who he could have been uh, yeah. moment. Um, the, the, that random question, random question. Is is Kingsley actually taking pictures? Is there actual, is it an actual camera or an actual film? We do have some pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I want to see some of those because I, I think watching the film, it made me curious. I was like, where's the Malcolm X like photo table book? You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I, I want to well, that's the thing that like was was my you know big and and, and I'm, my guess is that perhaps uh, those a lot of those photographs that Malcolm had taken over the years mm-hmm. were destroyed in that fire because mm-hmm. um, um, you know there was two fires there was that fire and then um, later on with mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Uh, Chabaz and um, I feel like. That was, I was like, wow, where are those images? Because mm-hmm. he was definitely a, 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 a fan of, of capturing the moments, um, but, but we've never seen those images. Yeah, I, but, I totally, I've, seen, I've seen one of him taking the photo. Of, uh, but of, but uh, never the, the photo. And that was one of the reasons why uh, on the roof, I was like, ah. We, I, I, when, I, when I read that scene, I went, I've, we've got to see the fight through Malcolm's lens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before we get to this room. Mm-hmm. Because we, 
as an audience, as 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 lovers of of, of people who appreciate and and have um, been moved so much by Malcolm's words um, throughout our life. Like most of us were introduced to Malcolm X somewhere in our teens. That's when we would read the autobiography. Like that. That's I, I kind of feel like that's kind of so for for black people. I think somewhere around your teens, that's mm -hmm. when you were introduced to that book, and it's still most people I know, one of the greatest books that they've ever read, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just uh, felt like we always see the photo of him taking pictures. Mm -hmm. We don't see the photo, the image through his eyes. And, yeah. and that was just, um, Which so we do have some of those images. Yeah, it's cool because you you get to see just a little bit. I like how you describe it as a slice of life, not not the whole man, not any of these whole men. But you get to see his curiosity about the world, you know, which which is ultimately why he went to why he went to Mecca. Um, all right, you mentioned uh, Eli. We talked about Kingsley. Aldous is great, and then uh, Leslie is just like, you know, I, I, there's I don't think there's ever been a Sam Cooke biopic, you know, and so I think seeing him in this is you know one of the first times any of us are getting to see a personification of what he may have been like. Um, and man, Leslie goes to a place that is a Hamilton, you know what I'm saying? Hey, hey. Um, and so, uh, you know, casting him, building that character the same way working with Kingsley, building, you know, this other depiction of Malcolm. Yeah, it's interesting with Leslie. I didn't, it's, it's so funny. And, and I, I wonder if you've ever experienced this as well when you're doing, when you're promoting the film after it's done, you discover these things about your actors or things that they felt that you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know you felt that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he said he he didn't think of himself, that he, he could do it. And um, I did not, I, I felt in our conversations um, that he um, was nervous about potentially playing Sam, but I never felt like he didn't think he had it in him, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I, I'm so glad that I saw something in him that he didn't see in himself, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he um, definitely, you know, Sam Cook made such an impression in his life, of course, just being a, a, a singer, but, um, he just, I guess, felt like these are just, I, I can't mess this up. And, mm. and there's a chance that I might. So I, I, I may not be the right person for it. But there was something about, I'd never seen Leslie in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to Leslie through his Christmas album. And I was like, who is this man? This mm. voice is amazing. So this is like years ago. And it's really weird because I am in my mind thinking of, at this point, I've got the job, thinking of actors that, you know, would be good in these roles. And N Leslie's freaking nationwide commercial came on. Mm. And it was something about his poise in that commercial that I said, huh. Hmm. Something's interesting there. So then I get on and do the dive and I see a couple things that he had done and I'd watch them 
but they didn't necessarily say Sam Cooke to me and they didn't necessarily, um, they weren't necessarily roles that truly showcased Leslie in any way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I talked to him on the phone. I was able to get an advance uh, uh, um, screening of Harriet and saw a little something there. And I was like, I just want to talk to the brother. And I talked to him and his respect and, 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 and love for Sam and how Sam was so precious to him made mm-hmm. me feel like, this brother's going to give it all and, and, and leave it on the floor. He, he's he's, he's going to go, uh, he's going to take no prisoners or take all prisoners, whichever what, what way you want to uh, look at it. And when I said, but I need to hear you read the words, brother. I need to hear them out of your mouth. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is not, everyone is, is reading. It's, it's, you know, and he said, absolutely. And he came in, uh, and read and I was like, that's Sam. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's the 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 piece is even, it's pretty even handed. You know, I don't, you know, there's sometimes where I think, oh, it was definitely Malcolm's film. And there's sometimes where I'm like, well, I think it might have been Ali's film, you know. And then there's sometimes where I think, you know, I'm pretty sure it was Sam's film. And 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 I, and I think there's something really lovely about the way you balance that. What I will say is, you know. I'm kind of trying to unpack what we're talking about. You know, you kind of said it, which is this is not a film about any of these men and their titles. It's about who they were in this moment. And so I think you and Leslie, as opposed to you said, I don't know if this dude is Sam Cooke, but we don't know who Sam Cooke was. You know what I mean? And I think by drilling in and focusing on just this one piece, this is who Sam may have been this night. Let's go get it. You know, yeah. this is who Malcolm may have been this night. Let's go get it. Same thing for Jim, same thing for Ali. And I think because of that, something really honest comes out of it, you know? You know, yeah. and also it was very specific moments in this piece that I felt like each of them, it was their moment where the vulnerability was really coming through for yeah. each of them, you know, and they they each got it as an actor, you know, like for Jim, it was a very sensitive thing about the, the consideration of making this crossover to to film, mm-hmm. you know, like we always look at Jim as you know Jim don't take no, Jim Brown, you know Jim, Jim Brown ain't no punk, but you know there's this moment and, he, and he's kind of excited as he's sharing with Cassius about the film, but then when Cassius kind of laughs, you know Jim is a little like mm-hmm. no, I wasn't expecting that from you and, 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 and the way, you know, we, we approached that was that maybe, maybe going into the moment, Jim wasn't feeling like, don't tell anybody, but Cash's reaction there made him go, wait a minute, don't say shit about the, don't, don't say shit about the, the film, you know, uh, the filmmaking, you know, just don't say a damn thing. It's my, shit. I shared it with you. Don't say it. And, and, it's in Jim's way, but it is a, a little moment of vulnerability, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, um, Regina, your your mic or something just got a little funny. I can hear you, but you kind of like a little chipmunkish. <laughs> it's like oh, really? it's, it's, it's like it's only the high end. But I will say it's um, we're at about the forty minute mark. So so I think I think we're good anyway. It's kind of a sign. Jim Jim Brown didn't want you talking shit about him. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but 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 what I did want to say is I, I remember I remember on Bill Street. There were some times where you, I would see you in the corner and set. I'm like, what's what you doing here? We're not, we're not working um, on her coverage right now. We're not working on your scene right now. And I, after about halfway through, I was like, oh, she's she's watching me. She's watching me. She's watching me. Um, I, I think it's really lovely that somebody who understands so much about what it takes to do what y'all do in front of the camera is now behind the camera helping other folks. I think it's why it's no surprise. So many of these actors in this film, it's their best work. It's their best work. Um, so salute to you on that. And having read the play, but not read the screenplay, having read the play, I think that the the space you give this, you know, talking about again, all these men being able to be vulnerable with one another, unpack one another, I think it's the perfect medium for it. I think you did just an absolutely amazing job. You know, I know the play won some awards, you know. Hopefully this film will win some awards. Uh, but if it don't, man, it, it got inside a whole bunch of folks, myself included. Well, thank you. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's that's really that's really the goal. I wanted I wanted you to see yourself in this story. You know, I wanted um, I, I I love I love being black. I mm -hmm. love the black men in my life, mm -hmm. and I wanted them to see themselves the way I see them. And Kim created a, a wonderful um, piece to be able to do that. Word, word, word. My name is Barry Jenkins. This is Regina King. And this has been DGA Presents uh, One Night in Miami. Um, I hope to see you again soon, my dear. Uh, real soon. And I hope when I do, I actually get to give you a hug. All right, word. I'm going to give you a hug now. <laughs> um, I guess that's it, man. Um, yeah, take care, boss lady. Thank you. Thank you so much for this, Barry. My pleasure. My pleasure. Love you, man. Bye. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Aaron Sorkin, John Lee Hancock, and Fisher Stevens. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally 